Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina and this is another narrative journey exploring risk-taking and innovation in business and art. On the show today is an incredible guest with a rich history of entrepreneurship. Scott Anderson eventually found the coaching practice Double Dare and now works as a business coach and mental health therapist. Before we start though, ask yourself what would you do if you were 10% braver? Think about the possibilities you would have if you had less inhibitions, if you thought less about what could happen or what people would think, and more about who you really are deep down and what that deep down person wants out of life. The first time I heard this phrase was when I discussed my quitting teaching with one of my teacher friends. We were talking about why some people can pursue their passion and why others can't. On the topic of can and can't, I'd like to share my mantra. I do it because I can. I can because I want to. I want to because you said I couldn't. However, often the you in that statement is I. The fact is, there are going to be loads of skeptics out there telling you you can't and using a whole range of scare tactics and guilt trips to make you believe you can't. But more than anything, it's going to be you who tell it to yourself and prevent yourself from being 10% braver. I therefore hope the insight shared by Scott in this episode will help you take courage, enabling you to start reaching out for the possibilities you were too afraid of before. A kind reminder that if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it with someone who might enjoy it too. You can come and say hello on Instagram at regeneration.studio or regenerationcat on Clubhouse. And check out our YouTube channel for tips on living outside of the box yourself. Last but not least, we have an exclusive app which you can find in the Google Play Store by searching for Regeneration Studio. It puts all of our content, including our YouTube videos, in one place for easy access. Okay, let's go and join Scott and find out what could happen if we were 10% braver. Welcome to the show, Scott. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love 10% braver. That's such a wonderful, (laughs) such a provocative challenge. I love it. Well, I'm really happy to hear that because my friend was like adamant I need to do something on that phrase. So here we go. (laughs) To give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there's a film soon to be released called Double Dare. And I kind of like that film title as well. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Oh, my. Well, I was in the process of selling my most recent business. I've started several. But this last one was a 25-year commitment to an advertising agency. And I was talking to my coach about, so what's next, basically, for me? And what shape would it take? And what would it look like? And One of her challenging questions, very much like, what if you were 10% braver, was she would would double dare me to do things. Because it's very much as you said, if you tell me I can't do it, then I'm pretty interested in doing it. Yeah, exactly. But it's, you know, as silly as it is, it's that memory from childhood about being double dared to do brave things, basically. Yeah. The name for my coaching practice came out of a challenge from my own coach, who was still my coach. And she she double dared me to uh, take a number of leaps that I know I would not have otherwise taken, and that probably felt impossible. It had to do with launching my practice and and the the scope that it would take and the people I would serve. And one yeah. of my chief techniques is to double dare people to do things. All right, great. So I chose the topic for this uh, podcast. Perfect. <laughs> well, <laughs> scene one, the battlefield. 
As a business coach, it is evident that you have an excellent grounding in human behavior and specialize in helping your clients with debilitating conditions such as imposter syndrome and burnout, to name a few. And you did a really, really great explanation of imposter syndrome on your Vimeo video presentation, which I really enjoyed. In fact, you did graduate with a master's degree in clinical counseling and you're a licensed mental health therapist. And what point in your life did you become fascinated by human behavior? You know, I guess I've always been fascinated by it. And, you know, to be honest, in, in my own in my own life, I found myself plagued by fear of, well, on the one hand, being really driven to take big steps, but also being at times in my life paralyzed by the fear of, of doing it, the risk of doing it. That's always been a theme in my life personally. And, you know, sometimes it's when, when you have both the drive to do things and the, the ideas that are kind of burning a hole in your pocket, but not executing them, you know, for me personally, it was very, very painful. I mean, pain is the best way to describe it. And it's taken, you know, all the work that I've ever done with my own coach, with my own therapist, uh, and in my own life to kind of come to grips with that struggle between um, a real drive to do new things and, and to change things and take risks on the one hand, and then that part of us that's wired into every single human being to protect us, to keep us safe, to survive, you know, it's just a natural tension, I think, for most people and definitely for entrepreneurs. Okay. And then on that topic, can you maybe give an example, an early example of when you really took a risk? So when I started my advertising agency, you know, I had nothing. <laughs> I had a I had a mobile phone and that's all. I was challenged by a mentor. And this is it's so I had been working for an advertising agency doing business development mainly and also um, creative direction. And the agency had mismanaged themselves to the point that they had to fire everybody. Uh, my mentor, I called him and said, Oh no! <laughs> you know, I have no job. I have no income. Yeah. What am I going to do? And he said that he had this challenge for me. Mm. And what he wanted me to do was, I said, let's look at what you can do. And basically, the two things that I could do was to make ads, uh, hopefully some creative, interesting ads, mm. to write them and produce them. On the one hand, and the other was that I had experience in business development. Okay. So he said, well, that's where you're going to start then with what you have. He challenged me to send, it ended up being like 200 emails and phone calls and letters a month. That's 50 a week or yeah. 10 a day, basically. And he said, just just crank these out every day, every day, every day, every day. Mm-hmm. At the end of a month, if you only have one half of 1% response, you might have one project, one half of 1% against 200 contacts. Yeah. You might have one response. I was, I thought that was the silliest thing I had ever heard. The math made sense, yeah. but you know, it couldn't possibly work. And that's, that's what I did. And that's really, in a lot of ways, what I've been doing mm. you know, my whole career you know, is to put in the effort on a daily basis yeah. with the mindset, importantly, the mindset of, of helping people. And just what he he advised me to do is just to find somebody to help, Wow, you know, find somebody to serve 
It's a very great approach to have. Yeah. And it, so it took the emphasis off of, of me and, and put me in a position of just trying to find people who I could genuinely yeah. help in, in my case in the form of marketing. But that's still the challenge that I give to a lot of, uh, a lot of my clients today. Yeah. I refer to it as the daily dozen. When people are in a lull, when they feel stuck, especially when they've got a dry sales pipeline, yeah. you know, is to find people to help. And see if you can send out 25 offers to help. Mm-hmm. Send 12 a day, a dozen a day for a week. I've, I don't think I've ever had any of my clients go longer than that. They, they've never been able to do that for more than a week mm-hmm. because they inevitably bump into someone that they can help. Yeah. And something good happens and so on and so on. All right. Well, that's a great piece of advice. Now, after you graduated, you went on to start many different companies, including the advertising agency that you just spoke about. So in a way, you became a serial entrepreneur. I don't know if this was what you thought you were going to become, but that's what you became. And most of these companies you were able to sell. Some of them didn't work out. Right. So you describe yourself as having learned more from your failures than successes. Firstly, why did you go down the entrepreneur route? You know, I think part of it is genetic. My my family, both my mother's family and my father's family, uh, you know, were many many generations of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in uh, in agriculture, as farmers and ranchers, and in business. So part of it was that I it may be genetic, and it may also be though that I was raised in a household where it was customary for people to own their own businesses, and you know, I just for whatever reason, by the luck of the draw or genetics, I was, my childhood and my, my growing, growing up experience didn't include people working for other people. It was always working for themselves. Yeah. You know, and I, I count that as a huge blessing because it made the risk aversion that uh, someone might have if they weren't born into that kind of a family significantly decrease because to me, it was just how things, it's how people you know, survived was that they started their own companies. That really got the ball rolling for me, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of in a similar situation. I've just always found myself gravitating towards doing my own thing, kind of like managing my own business or whatever it might be. And yes, I'm also from a family of entrepreneurs, so so it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's partially nurture and Mm. partially nature. You know, I always was was trying to, you know, I, I was talking to a client the other day. My earliest business was at like seven years old or so, seven or eight, when I was, I'd go around the neighborhood with my father's shoe shine kit to try to shine shoes for uh, people in the neighborhood. Discovered, A, I was a terrible shoe shiner and that there was much more to it than I realized. Yeah. And secondly, the people were very picky about how their shoes were shining. <laughs> really? But I always wanted, there was a certain amount of fearlessness and that's the tension, you know, mm-hmm. I find in so many entrepreneurs, there's this, there's this huge enthusiasm to create something out of nothing yeah. or there's this, this fear that we all have mm-hmm. that's wired right into us yeah. uh, for basic survival exactly. and, and that maybe prevents us from taking the risks we should. Yeah, because what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. So you have also experienced some failures What was your most catastrophic entrepreneurial experience and what did you learn from it? Oh, God. I mean, there are many. I had a, well, there are two that come to mind. And uh, one was 
felt major at the time, but I think in retrospect was minor. And the other one was really major. And it wasn't a failure financially, but it was a failure on my part to getting back to your theme mm-hmm. for not being 10% braver. Okay. So the first one that comes to mind is I was running some family businesses that I mentioned. Well, we had sold them very successfully. And after I sold them, I decided to get into the high-end car wash or car detailing business mm-hmm. so that we would clean very expensive cars for you know, two or three or $400 uh, at the time. I just blindly started this company and we had a lot of initial success, but I live in the Midwest or at the time I was living in the Midwest when there is winter about four months a year and people don't wash their cars except to get salt off their cars. There's no point in having a pristine car where I live during the winter because it doesn't stay pristine very long. Anyway, we got into the winter months and it, and it just dried up to zero. Now, what I had done was to sell a lot of gift certificates going into the holidays. Mm-hmm. And that was a smart idea, I guess, on my part to, to essentially pre-sell a lot of car washes. The problem was that our the business just couldn't survive you know, four months of winter with basically zero revenue, almost zero revenue. Yeah. And so I had to close the business down. Then I had to go back to these people who bought gift certificates and buy them back from them. Because there was no way I could actually wash their cars, but I couldn't ethically have them be out the money. So I did track all these people down and pay all these people the money. And it was a bit humiliating and it was expensive. You know, really a bigger failure though, and this kind of goes to the work that we've been doing on burnout is, um, so I I started an advertising agency and ran it for 25 years with a great team of, of partner, incredibly great, talented team of of partners. We established from the beginning a very detailed uh, succession plan and buy-sell agreement so that if anybody was going to leave, that it would not cripple the business and there'd be a very orderly process. So in retrospect, I realized that I was really burning out on the advertising Mm -hmm. business and started to display a lot of symptoms of that. I became um, negative about the business itself. And, and part of it also was my own entrepreneurial distractibility mm-hmm. for the next shiny object. Yeah. But you know, one of the hardest things I found for my own entrepreneurial cr- clients is to stick with things once they're successful. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's just about the time they're about to really get successful that, that entrepreneurs get bored. <laughs> so part of it was boredom. Mm-hmm. Part of it was burnout because it's advertising is a very at least for me, it was a very high stress business. And if I had been 10% braver, I would have, I would have sold my interest to my employees about three to five years sooner than I did. But by sticking around for those three to five years and not leaving, you know, I made life uncomfortable for them, you know, to be honest, they, they were, as they should have been, and, and, and were very wise to do, they're very positive about, building the business and and they, you know, I mean, I just had fantastic partners and they did a wonderful job, but my attitude got increasingly more negative. So okay. if I had been 10% braver and 10% wiser, I would have taken the leap. And I had already created a coaching practice within my advertising agency. Okay. Um, but what I, w- what I would have done, what I should have done and what I wished I had done mm-hmm. was to be 10% braver and exit 
three years sooner rather than put them and me through unnecessary hassle and and problems. That I consider that to be a big failure personally Mm -hmm. because of the toll it took on them and the toll it took on me. It wasn't necessary, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't have the guts to pull the cord um, sooner, which I should have done. I mean, I think whenever we think about being braver, it's always being like, making the a decision to start something or to do something but sometimes it's also just to to give up <laughs> to just you know stop something because that would open up um, yeah. a door for better development in the future now as we navigate these choices in life as you've done whether this is in our careers or personal lives sometimes the hardest battle we fight is really within ourselves. It's got nothing to do with the people around us, but they might influence us, but it's within us. Absolutely. So many of us might doubt our capability of doing certain things, either looking for excuses in our circumstances. This could just be to do with paying the bills, not having the skills, not having the time, or in what society wants us to believe. For example, women might feel that they're not as suited to roles in the scientific and engineering industries. Yes. Describe your battlefield and link to that battlefield. What major crossroad led you to start Double Dare, which you've touched on? Yeah. But what did you decide as a consequence and what was the result? Yeah, the battlefield, you said it quite well, Katrina. The the battlefield was really between my ears. And, you know, that's the main work that I do with my clients now. They're very talented people. They're very creative people. They're very ethical people. I mean, if they needed any of those things, you know, I would be hard pressed to provide it. That's not talent and brains and creativity is not the problem. Typically, the only problem when you really get down to it is between our ears and uh, in our hearts. And so, you know, and that's the same way with me. My my battlefield was all of my own making. My my troubles if there were any real troubles, were all mainly made up in my mind. And and yet they affected me as if they were real. And, you know, again, I postponed taking the leap to launching this coaching practice, which I had known for quite a while was the right thing for me, not not just to, to leave the advertising agency and sell my interest to my partners, but to start this business. I knew it was the, in my gut, I knew it was the right thing. And yet, there was this block that I think most entrepreneurs contend with, with, you know, is this the right step to take? And and also, you know, I mean, we really do have wired right into our bones and our DNA, this self-preservation instinct. This is one of the things that I've, I've really learned in my mental health practice mm-hmm. is that, you know, and it's a very good thing. We have, there's a self-preservation instinct built into every single person while entrepreneurs are probably more risk tolerant than others, still there's an element of that. And there's a big part of our minds that's wired to have us continue with things that are good, but not necessarily the best. Yeah. That's why 10% braver makes <laughs> makes all kinds of sense. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you think that way. And then if you had to maybe summarize the result, the key result of what you decided, do you, do you feel more fulfilled? Do you feel like you've achieved more? Yeah, absolutely. Or do you think there's just it's just an ongoing journey? Well, it is an ongoing journey, no question about that. I mean, we always want to do more for our clients. Yeah. I always want to do more for my clients, take them farther, faster, mm-hmm. 
basically deliver a better ROI. I hope we're all focused on that for all of our clients to serve them in a better way, in a deeper way. And uh, so it is ongoing, absolutely. But the result for me has been um, a new lease on life. I was really burned out in the business I was in. And, you know, it was was also the business was great. I had great partners. We're making lots of money. There's nothing to complain about, for sure. So uh, it was just the passion that I felt to to do this new kind of work. Yes, I totally understand that because I went through something similar with my teaching career where I knew for a long time it wasn't right. It wasn't me. There were loads of good stuff about it, lots of rewards and so on. But then eventually just had to face reality and face what, what would actually bring more fulfillment, even if it's the harder road or takes a bit more courage. Exactly. That's the part that's wired into each of us, I think. Well, we know by research that, you know, the human, the the cavemen uh, DNA that we are heir to suggests that the the cavemen that survived dinosaurs and lots of other things to ultimately become us survived because they were able to identify things that were sustainable, a water supply and a food supply and a climate that made sense and so forth. And that it was very, very risky uh, and sometimes foolhardy. Uh, to look for anything better. Yes. And so there's a, there's just a big, there's a huge momentum or inertia in human beings to do what works and then not to rock the boat. Yeah, exactly. Which makes, makes you know, evolutionary sense. But the good really can be the enemy of the best. And once we have a sight of something that would be better for us and better for the people we serve, it's really hard to unknow that. And uh, sooner or later, it makes the good you know, definitely not as good as, as the better possible alternative. Yeah, exactly. Scene two, the imposter. Now the coaching programs you offer at Double Dare focus on helping entrepreneurs reach their personal and professional goals. Often what holds us back is this fear and this need to preserve ourselves, as you've pointed out, that's kind of wired into us. If we were 10% braver, however, in other words, if we cared less about the eventual outcome and focused more on what we really wanted, we would probably act differently and make the choices we are too afraid to make. Yes. Now, from a professional point of view, this means actually starting a business or making a major change in how we run our business or sometimes just giving up, quitting a career. It means something different for everyone. Exactly. Firstly, what would you do now if you were 10% braver? Mm. Uh, you know, again, that's such a powerful question. So most of the work that I do right now is one-on-one with entrepreneurs and their and their leadership teams. Fortunately, the results that we're getting is is very powerful. There is, you know, significant return on investment. One of the things that I, I am in the process of doing, however, is to create programs that can be accessed by entrepreneurs earlier in their careers so that uh, when they have less resources, so specifically this means creating courses, mastermind groups for entrepreneurs that are earlier in their careers Mm -hmm. so that they can take advantage of the processes we've created for entrepreneurs that are further along, but so that folks that are earlier on in their career can afford and can take advantage of in a group setting. So, you know, for me personally, that's 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 one of the things that I'm definitely uh, looking at. And I don't know if 10% braver would get me there, but 
a couple of years ago, we lived in Italy for most of the year, a big chunk of the year. You know, I, one of the things that I definitely will do as soon as it's safe to do it is to move at least for, you know, half the year or more, probably to Italy or to Western Europe generally. It'll take, you know, we'll we'll have to wait a while. But, you know, you, you ask, I mean, you ask a really good question that I ask of my clients a lot. And with entrepreneurs who have started businesses, who have gotten them off the ground and who have dodged all the bullets that are statistically present mm-hmm. that cause the failure of most businesses that start, people who have who have succeeded past that point often find themselves, and this is what, where a lot of my clients are, they're in a situation where they figured out how to get their businesses to survive all of the early threats. Yeah. And now there are, you know, they cash flow and so mm-hmm. forth. But the business is still not as good as it should be. Mm-hmm. And typically, this comes in the form, the battlefield that my clients face is they've got a business that has succeeded. It's it's survived the first, let's say, five years or three years yeah. of existence. Let's say it's gone past the five-year mark. Okay. Exactly. And so, but now the the, the battlefield is that it's that it reaches some sort of a plateau. Mm-hmm. Meaning in two ways. One of them is there's typically a, a sales plateau that businesses hit at that point. Okay. But they also find that there is a work-life balance plateau that they hit that so that it's impossible to make the companies uh, grow unless they really change the structure of the company and specifically the entrepreneur's role in the company. And so, you know, this is the work that I do with so many of my clients is it's not a question of of quitting necessarily yeah. a job. It's more a question of taking the company they've developed and taking it to the next level that is sustainable, not only in terms of financial success, but most especially in terms of the freedom to enjoy the success that they have generated. And in this sense, they do kind of quit their their jobs. They don't quit the company, but they quit their old job at the company and we create a new job for them, a new role. And that's typically the path that it takes to get people to kind of through that battlefield and, and on to the next success. So if we consider that, like normally when we think of fear or being brave, we always think of a start and an end. But now, given your client situation, do you find that there is also a fear ingrained in that kind of, we've now reached a comfortable sort of situation and now we're just sticking with it and we, we don't really want to make changes? And then how do you how do you advise them to overcome that? Yeah. Well, the clients that I work with have, and this is a a sticking point. I mean, on the one hand, they've survived all the initial threats to their survival. And so that's good. And they're able to pay themselves, you know, a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. But where the pinch typically comes is it could be partially financial, but it's usually time. And so the problem is that they started doing the business by wearing all the hats now it's three or five years later, and they're still wearing most of the hats, except in a much bigger business. And so there's no scale to that. And therefore, their biggest complaint is that they are spending way more time than they want to in their in their businesses. And they're not doing the essential things. They're doing the necessary things or the urgent things, but they're not doing the things that would make the most impact and help them break through sales plateaus, for example. Yes. Um, the other issue is on the on the home front is that by wearing all these hats now in a much bigger business, they simply don't have the time to enjoy their success, mm-hmm. the freedom. 
to enjoy their success. And that's typically the impetus for someone to call me is things are good, but they're not sustainable. Yes. From a financial measure, they're good. Having survived all the initial threats is good, but their lives are not what they want them to be. Okay. That's a really interesting observation that you made. And I mean, I didn't realize that was like something that happened often, but I can sort of understand it because when you, especially the kind of personalities of entrepreneurs and people who start businesses, they might also want to stay in control of things and without realizing that if they actually just start delegating some responsibilities, not only the balance might be better, but yeah. everything, the enjoyment of the of what they've created and everything. Yes. Else. Now, as much as we like to keep up personal and professional lives separate, talking about work-life balance. Our decisions have an impact on both sides. Unfortunately, it's just going to be like that. It's, it is like that. For example, if we are within yeah. a relationship or if we are surrounded by people who perhaps make us feel inferior or whatever the case might be, this is going to translate into our work um, lives as well. And there are multiple examples. What are the most common personal factors that hold us back professionally, like from your experience? Yeah, what, what I find happens more often is that, again, the entrepreneur is putting in lots and lots of hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes because of this almost a superstitious belief that if they give up, if they change their role at all, then that that, that, that has been the key to their success. And so they have almost a phobia about letting go of any of their responsibilities. In any case, what tends to happen is that problems show up uh, with relationships at work, with their leadership team or their key employees, or relationship problems occur at home with their significant other or potentially uh, in their role as a parent. Yeah. And we, we treat things in a very holistic way. Mm -hmm. This is why I think our clients benefit from my my mental health training yeah, because it is very difficult, not impossible, and really not that useful to try to compartmentalize work and home. Yeah. But that's where it tends to show up is at home. The, the family requires more of the entrepreneur's mm -hmm. time than the entrepreneur thinks they can afford to give. Yeah. And they have fear that if they put in less time or if they change their role, that it's going to hurt the business. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it hurts the business, then it's going to hurt the family and there's this vicious cycle. So a lot of the work that we do with our clients is to, is to help them see that there is a way out of this vicious cycle, you know. Okay. And really the way to be successful at home is to scale your business at work. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, again, the, the entrepreneur in the first several years is likely to do all the jobs and wear lots of hats yeah. in, at first just because of cash flow and whatnot. And as time goes by, especially if the entrepreneur has no management training, and um, which is which is often the case, and and really doesn't know what it would mean to scale a business, mm -hmm. to create systems and processes rather than everything being in the owner's head, so they run into these issues of you know of doing doing all the jobs and having all of the main responsibility for the whole business. Uh, so by scale, I mean that we develop systems and processes and we train people mm -hmm. in those systems and processes and we also delegate authority to those people so that the founder of the business the entrepreneur can focus on on a shorter list of uh, accountabilities and responsibilities but those that have the most impact 
an acronym that we use is BFC, which stands for better, faster, cheaper. And so what we do with our clients is have them do an inventory of what they do each day, but to label each of those uh, accountabilities in terms of whether they can do them, they alone can do them. And well, first of all, what impact to rate, what impact on the growth of the business these roles have, Mm -hmm. and then to determine which of those tasks could be replaced by someone else who can do the job better, faster, or cheaper. Okay. So every business owner has an effective hourly rate. This is a concept that Mm -hmm. James Schramko created. I I really like. Basically, if we divide the, the our income by the number of working hours, we have an effective hourly rate that we pay ourselves. And typically, for most entrepreneurs, it's fifty dollars an hour, hundred dollars an hour, two hundred dollars an hour, mm-hmm. what have you. Let's say it's a hundred dollars an hour. And basically, what what our BFC principle suggests yes. is that if we can find other people who can do our tasks better, faster, or cheaper than we can, mm-hmm. then we should delegate them. There's no reason for us to hold on to those things. Yeah. But the things that we do have to hold on to are typically mission critical. Okay. And it's by keeping the long list and wearing all the hats, even the list of things that others could do better, faster, and cheaper, what that does is marginalize our ability to do the things that are really important to the business yes. and that will help us claw back time, but also create this growth and this scale so that we can also enjoy our lives. Okay. Well, that's quite fascinating. I mean, do you find this within most of your clients, like even the bigger companies that people tend to just hold on? Yes. Each year, at the beginning of each year, I take my clients through a process. Instead of goal setting, I take them through a process called Mm -hmm. goal shedding, which I find that for for leaders is really much more effective. What we tend to do as entrepreneurs is just snowball accountabilities and take on more and more and more goals. But what's more effective is to really focus on the goals that are going to make a substantial difference to the performance of the business. Okay. Well, kind of linked to performance and especially if things are going well, if we start gaining a measure of success and, for example, the company's doing well financially and we've reached our goals, our business or project is generally succeeding in our eyes, or we get positive feedback simply from whether it's improving employees, colleagues, customers, we might dissociate from it and pin it down to connections, luck or timing. And this comes back to imposter syndrome. Yes. In other words, we don't want to quite acknowledge our own role within our success. Now, I think it's a phrase that's used often, but not always understood very well. What is imposter syndrome? And you can use an example from your own life to illustrate it. Absolutely. Well, imposter syndrome is essentially not crediting yourself with knowing what you know, essentially. Okay. Uh, or in other words, and you said it well, there are a lot of, uh, I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who feel fraudulent. They mm-hmm. feel like imposters in the sense that if any, you know, they, they kind of live in fear that, that someone will one day say, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. All, you know, everything that you've said is really bullshit. You, you know, you talk a good game, but do you really know what you're talking about? Yeah. And, it, and it happens, especially with entrepreneurs, because typically they are always as close to the growth, growth curve as they possibly can be. I mean, they're pushing the, the initiative of their businesses as hard and as fast as they can. 
you know, sometimes they're creating the solutions in real time, even as they're talking okay. about them. So, you know, there's this, there, there is this, there can be this sort of paralysis that comes from imposter syndrome. For example, I have a client who is in the financial advisory business and he's been doing this for 10 years, I think, or more. He's incredibly knowledgeable and successful for his clients. Mm -hmm. And he focuses on a very specific niche within that he works specifically for widowed women. And it's it's sort of a, a niche within the financial advice business. And he has some very, very strong processes that are incredibly effective. But he's been executing these for 10 plus years mm -hmm. now. And so for him, it feels very easy to do this. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's like second nature for him. Now, for anybody else, it would be impossible. Mm. You know, certainly for his clients, it would be impossible to do what he's doing. Yeah. But for him, because of all of the work he's put in and all the experience he's acquired, it's very simple and easy. He can almost do it in his sleep. Mm -hmm. The problem that he has, because it comes so easily to him now, mm -hmm. he forgets all of the 10 years of work that he did to get here. But because it feels so easy, he sometimes feels like, you know, am I really worth the money that I'm charging people to manage their, okay. their uh, portfolios? Because today it comes so easily for him. And what imposter syndrome, the core of imposter syndrome is sort of forgetting all of the work it took to become proficient at something. Yeah. Or and in some cases, there are entrepreneurs that are just blessed with gifts in different mm -hmm. areas. And that wouldn't necessarily be a problem. But imposter syndrome does become a problem when it becomes paralyzing and people begin to think, you know, I don't really know what I know. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sort of kidding people or, or I'm, I'm uh, defrauding people almost. It, it isn't true, but it's this sort of, it's the message that, that goes on in our minds that says, if it's so easy for you to do this, it can't be worth very much. But if you think about a brain surgeon, for example, it's, you know, an incredibly rarefied skill. And yet, if you're skilled at it and you're driven to do that and you do it every day, then it probably does come easier, yeah. you know, than it would for anybody else. Yes, that's true. But it doesn't mean that you're fraud that you're a fraud or an imposter, but it can feel that way. Yeah. I think it's quite a complicated experience because it doesn't seem like necessarily like a bad thing. It almost seems like we're perhaps just being humble or like, you know, don't want to brag or something like that. But I think what happens is that sometimes it almost prevents us from being braver, basically, from doing things that we might be able to do, might be able to succeed at that challenges us a little bit more because we kind of believe that we didn't quite get where we are through our own talents, our own effort and so forth. Now, why is it damaging to our mental condition and eventually to our careers leaving us perhaps stuck and devoid of professional fulfillment. You know, again, if you, and you can imagine, I mean, if you felt all the time that you aren't who you say you are, yeah. that you don't know what you say you know, if you had that, that sensation all the time, it would be very difficult to get up in the morning and do your job with confidence and with peace of mind. And that's, and that's sometimes what can happen. Does it also occur where you, have the fear that anytime everything that you've built up or the position that you have will be lost. Does that also play into it? 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Taken to its worst extreme, the fear is, you know, one day I'll be exposed as the fraud I am. My customers will all leave me and my business will fail, et cetera. None of that is real, you know, but for entrepreneurs, it really is, as the saying goes, lonely at the top. And it's very difficult to for entrepreneurs to find anybody to talk to who has been who is going through or has been through what what they're going through. And this is why there are some entrepreneurs organizations, EO is one of them, and I think is fantastic, that creates a forum for entrepreneurs to share uh, these kinds of feelings and to understand that they're not alone and that it's very common. And this is certainly part of what a coach is for. Yes especially a coach who's been there and understands what it, what imposter syndrome is, to contextualize it and to help them realize that this is, it's a very real feeling, but it isn't reality. And to kind of put a name to it and, some, and suggest some ways through it. Scene three, the victory. I've had a look at your coaching programs. I mean, they're diverse and you focus on all kind of different skills for your clients. So for example, it could be improving performance and collaboration or building leadership skills. But above all, you aim to give them the freedom to act on what they really want to achieve by identifying what matters most. And I think this kind of ties everything up that we've been saying so far. So what is the process that you follow with your clients to achieve all of this? And is it the same every time? I suppose not. Everybody's different. So Sure. All the work that we do is is customized. We have a, a process that we use as sort of a an outline because it seems to work for most entrepreneurs. But yes, every relationship, every situation is mm-hmm. different. What we found is sort of the key is for our clients to to work to articulate their values. And by that I mean not necessarily the values of their businesses, although that's important also. Yeah but their personal values so that they really, and, and this requires a lot of work, but it's very important to define what is important yeah. to our clients as individuals, essentially what they would want on their tombstone, the kinds of behaviors that they want to demonstrate mm-hmm. and the kinds of experiences that they want to have in their lifetimes in order for life to be meaningful to them. Okay. And you know that's really what it, what it comes down to. It's difficult to do that alone. So one of the values I think we add is to help our clients do the work necessary to really understand what is important. When we get out of alignment with our own values, and we can do it sometimes out of out of ignorance, you know, really of what our values are, or sometimes it happens so incrementally that it's invisible. But for most of my clients, if they're unhappy or dissatisfied, it's because they're in some way or another living in conflict with their personal values. Okay. So that's one of the things we spend a lot of time on. If we can get in sync with our values mm-hmm. and be true to ourselves, as mm-hmm. Shakespeare said, then we'll, we can lead happy and fulfilled lives. But most of us are moving so quickly and have so many outside pressures mm-hmm. that it's easy to be for our own personal values to be sort of muddled or blurry. Okay. But that, I think, is the ultimate success is to be clear about your values and to be certain that you are living within them. Yeah. So that's amazing work that you do then with your your clients, helping them kind of identify that. And would you say it's different from other coaching programs? 
you know, I mean, I think it may be we combine, you know, really hard nosed business yeah. uh, consulting and strategic planning and organizational yeah. development with a, I guess, a psychological approach. Yes. Because we found that it's the combination that seems to work the best. Okay. Because um, it's possible for clients to be big successes financially, mm -hmm. but not feel very successful inside. Okay. And we want both for our clients. Okay. Well, that's great. Now, you have worked with some major clients, LinkedIn, Royal Bank of Scotland, First National Bank, but I suppose also some smaller businesses. From your experience, what three tips would you give to someone wishing to accelerate their career or business? So three main things. Yeah, the, the main thing is to get clear about what you really want. And again, as I said earlier, we are so buffeted by our culture and our society telling us what we should want or our colleagues at work telling us what we should want, you know, basically the world telling us what we should want. That's true. <laughs> the most important thing by far is to get crystal clear about what we actually do want for our lives yes. and not just financially. And, and not even just from a career standpoint, but in a larger sense, what kind of people do we want to be? And will we on our deathbeds, having lived this way, be able to say that our lives were well lived or not? So clarity on the, uh, about what it is that we really want is a luxury that a lot of people either don't have or don't allow themselves to have. That's number one is clarity. The second, once you are clear about what you want, is to have the confidence in a plan that will definitely get you there. Because to be clear without a plan is not enough. Yeah. So clarity is the first tip, I, I guess I would suggest. The second one is confidence mm -hmm. in a plan. I'll go to four tips. Uh, tip three would be, you know, what a coach can bring is to help you stay focused. And for entrepreneurs, that can be a struggle mm -hmm. because we are inherently distractible by shiny objects. And so to have a, a coach that can help us stay focused. And then fourth, provide accountability okay. so that we move towards in achieving our plans, but move move as quickly as we can, more quickly than we would do on our own. That's been my experience with my coaches, with all of my coaches, is that with my first coaching relationship, a gentleman I engaged for 90 days, it was the most productive 90 days of my life okay. to that point. I accomplished more in 90 days than I had in some ways in the previous nine years. So it was a very, very powerful experience. Yeah, Thank you for sharing those four tips. I mean, so it's number one, clarity. Second one is having a plan. Third is focus. And fourth is accountability. Yes. Yeah. And those, those four things taken together are just incredibly mm -hmm. powerful. Now, to kind of wrap things up before we go into the quick fire questions, 2020 has propelled us into a new way of working and it's going to change in the future as well. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the increase in virtual offices and strong reliance on online services. Back to the question of being braver than we want to be. Do you find that by playing it safe, we wait for the rest of the world to set trends? And even when it does, we kind of hesitate to adapt as we saw and how do we stay ahead and keep winning the battle inside of us? I think there are really two things. I mean, first of all, I go back to values and, you know, what makes you to you? What do you need to do on a daily basis to be consistent with your own values is really essential. And then the second piece is 
what are you doing to serve your target you know, audience, whoever that is? I really think that you know, chasing chasing trends to chase trends is a wa- is a complete waste of time. Yeah. Um, there is always a new app or a new platform or whatever. I mean, what it really comes down to is how can we serve our clients? My my business partner in my advertising agency, really smart, good man named Mark Hughes, always used to say, "Make it about them." You know, that's really I think in three words what it all comes down to: make it about them. If you focus on uh, improving your clients a lot, you'll never go wrong. And it will also help you to sift through all the trends and, and technology and whatnot to choose those that are genuinely beneficial to your clients, that are in sync with your own personal values, but that really do serve your clients. That's the, the acid test. And I think that really cuts through all of the buzz in social media, for example. <laughs> yes. And I think that will also help you in kind of deciding or winning the battle within yourself if you have to make decisions that are perhaps tough. Exactly. Yes. Well, this has been very enlightening, very insightful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Scott. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yes. I learned loads. And For people who would like to find out more about Double Dare and anything else you have to offer, where can they find you? They should go to our website. It's doubledareyou.us and check us out. I always offer free consultations for anybody who's interested in finding out more about coaching and and also to do genuine coaching uh, within the call and hopefully move you and your practice to where you want to be. All right. But yeah, doubledareyou.us. Great. Thank you. And then before we go, I have a couple of quick fire questions, uh, my favorite questions, so that listeners can get to know you better. Sure. First one, what is the most recent series or film that you've watched, podcast you listen to, or book you read? The book that I've been reading and rereading is a book by Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul. Mm-hmm. And I would strongly recommend that for anybody, uh, particularly for entrepreneurs, but really for anybody. Okay. This guy is really a genius about how the mind works and, and the problems that we create uh, for ourselves. Yeah. That sounds very interesting. I love like entrepreneur-themed books. So The Untethered Soul, is that right? Yes. And what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Boy, that's a good one. You know, I guess... And I'll, I'll go back to my entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneur clients. You know, a lot of them original, uh, initially can't believe that by doing less, they will accomplish more. And I don't mean doing <laughs> less, by focusing on fewer tasks and fewer accountabilities, that they will achieve more. I have a client who I really love who is in the real estate development business, builds apartment buildings. And we worked on what his, he should be spending his time doing. And what we, and he had previously been running the whole business with his wife and they wore all the hats. We finally paired all of that back to the thing that he should be doing is only really one thing. And that is to folk is to look at ground, look at dirt to see if it was something he could build on because he, okay. he brought a really distinct genius to that. But it's hard for entrepreneurs to think that they can accomplish okay. more by focusing on less. So that sometimes yeah. is a conflict to begin with. I'll take that one to heart. <laughs> and then what is the biggest challenge you overcame? The the main thing I, I think for me and is to get my mind off myself. 
and to focus on people I can help. When I do that, I'm happy. When I focus on me and what I want, I'm unhappy. But when I focus on you and what you want, life goes very smoothly and very well. That's the main thing is, is to, uh, in fact, I have a tattoo that says, get over yourself. <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, that's yeah. really the most important and truest statement I know. Yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm not going to guess this, but what is your favorite travel destination and why? Mm, boy, so many. But right now, I would say there is a town in the very far north of Italy called Bolzano. That's the Italian name for mm -hmm. it. The German name is Bozen. But it's a beautiful town about 45 minutes from the uh, Austrian border. B-O-L-Z-A-N-O. Make haste as soon as the COVID, as soon as we can do it, let's all go there. Beautiful place. <laughs> Maybe not all at once, yes, but yes, yes, definitely. Interestingly enough, if I had to look at the statistics, Italy is probably the favorite destination for most of my guests. So, what advice would you give to someone wishing to start a career as a business coach? Well, I guess the, you know, the main thing is to try to find a problem that you have solved yourself that you have mm -hmm. genuine experience and success in, in solving. That's the key. You know, we, we can only help uh, people uh, achieve things that we've achieved ourselves. And, and also that kind of will prevent us from having imposter syndrome. <laughs> we really want to have the, the validation of having achieved the things that we're helping our clients achieve. Great piece of advice. Thank you once again for joining me. My pleasure so much. Thanks. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on all major platforms. You can also leave us a rating and review on Apple as we love to hear your feedback. It helps more people find this show and helps us share these amazing stories of difficult roads and beautiful destinations in business and art. Stories that could make a small difference in someone else's life. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.